Hello, welcome to the multitask. This is John. This is your boy Friday. What's going on, guys? So, quiet as it's kept, Joe Biden had another good week. And I will tell you, we won't start out with even the briar. But the one thing that came out this week was how strong his economy is. He's having a strong economy. And if you remember anything what James Carville said back in the days of Bill Clinton, it's the economy stupid, right? So uh, let's, you know, we, we, we talked about how we're going to start really trying to lift up what is working for Biden and the Democrats. So what is your impressions on what's going on with the economy right now? Well, I think there's a lot of people who expect the economy just because it was like when Trump handed it over and it was the height of, well, I don't know if I would call it the height of COVID, but we were still kind of devastated by COVID and everything like that. We still are, but just in different ways. Um, it was so low and it was so bad that people who just started getting back to work and the economy started to open up, businesses started to open up, schools started to open up. There was an expected bump, if you will, that the economy was going to be better. But I follow a couple of those people on my timeline and they were saying that it was just better than they even expected and job reports and the GDP has been the highest it's ever been. I, I couldn't, don't get me started on numbers. I don't know them as much as I would like to, but from what I understand, it's more than a bump. It's more sustainable and it's more of um, a recovery than we had expected. I also like the fact that they're talking about it so much, right? If you look at his Twitter, they're talking about it. Ronald Klain's talking about it. Jen Psaki was tweeting about it. It was interesting, John, because I see a lot of the graphics that Biden, the Biden team puts out. They'll take shots at all the Republican predecessors. They'll say Democrats created the more jobs than created 95% of the jobs in the last 20 years. This latest graphic they put up had a had an Obama graphic that didn't look so good. So even in comparison with Biden, the Obama graphic was low. So I'm just, I'm glad they're running with it. We talk about spiking the ball all the time. So this is something that they have to get to. We, as we know, inflation's going down. Uh, lumber's not out of stock. They're, the shelves aren't empty. Like all those narratives that the GOP tried to run with are false. So um, we're still a year out from 2022. A lot can change, but this is a good, uh, good starting point. Well, and you know, what's interesting is even in reporting on the new good news, um, the New York Times found a way to spin it negative. So let me read you um, the first four paragraphs from uh, January 27th, New York Times. It says, President Biden is contending with an uncomfortable disconnect. The economy grew at its fastest pace since 1984 last year, but voters are downright pessimistic about economic conditions and their own financial prospects. The divide tracks back to the lingering pandemic and high prices, economists said. Inflation is running at its fastest pace since 1982, eroding gains and eating away at paychecks as even robust wage increases struggle to keep pace. And despite vaccines, life has yet to return to normal in the way many people once expected. The disparity poses a significant challenge for Mr. Biden and his party ahead of the November midterm elections. Faltering consumer confidence in the economy and a Mr. Biden's handling of it could be a liability as Democrats battle to keep control of both the House and Senate. Mr. Biden and his top advisors are trying to turn attention toward the positives, emphasizing how rapidly the economy has improved and that wages are rising and helling efforts to fix a snarled supply chains and rebuild, rebuild domestic manufacturing. Do you see what just happened here? They said Mr. Biden and his team are trying to. It's up to the New York Times how they spin it. They literally just laid out the good news, the reason why Joe Biden had a successful first year and what's the good news about his economy, but they're doing, they're doing yeah, but reporting. I mean, they even acknowledge what Biden and his team are doing 
but they're engaging in, I think that's the phrase we'll have to use. Yeah, but reporting. Here's the good news. Biden's kicking ass in the economy, but we're going to tell you why you shouldn't have confidence. And don't, doesn't that become a self-fulfilling prophecy? How many people who have the confidence in Biden or lack of confidence in Biden are reacting to the reporting? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I will say something, though. Just because they wrote that and it's true, it might be, I do think there's a disconnect, but they have to, the real story is why the disconnect is there. The real story isn't what Biden is trying to do or not. The real story is you have to investigate why the disconnect is there. I'm not an expert, but I can only assume that the Biden team and the numbers we're looking at are numbers that don't necessarily reflect, as we talked about pre-show, the kitchen table stuff yet. Right. They're looking at advanced numbers that are trending the right way. And I expect in a month or two, three months, four months that you will start to feel it as an everyday citizen. Right. So the New York Times has to explain there is a disconnect. Here's why there's a disconnect. Sometimes there's a delay. I don't want to use the word trickle down. But as you know, as the economy starts to trend the right way, it takes a little bit to get to the families and the single moms and all those people. So I filled up gas yesterday for 380. I expect in a month or two, it's not going to be that high. Right. And so some of this stuff we talked about with COVID, right? The cases are the cases almost precede the deaths and the deaths are lagging. In this case, it's the same thing, right? Nobody's Christmas was interrupted. Are people struggling? Of course, people are always going to struggle, but this is trending in the right way. And that's the story. I agree with your, your what you're saying, though. Yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's frustrating because we had good news. This is great news. And it was funny because I'm going to move on to Breyer, but one of my friends and one of my uh, college buddies chat said, you know, Biden needed this win. And and the, the win being that, that he gets to appoint a Supreme Court justice. But part of me wonders, does he really need to win? Because the man has win, been winning all year. It's just not. And, 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 I, and I also refuse to accept that Democratic messaging sucks. It can always be better. It can always improve. But when we're spending so much time arguing about and debating about how much democratic messaging sucks, guess what? It's gonna suck, right? Um, and and you know, we keep talking about first of all, all they did with the CARES Act and all the stuff they did with you know the American well, the CARES Act was I think under Trump, but the American Rescue Plan, you know, all the stuff that they did on COVID, combined with if you did not have a comparison to build back better and a comparison to what was going on with voting rights, what Biden did in the bipartisan infrastructure bill is huge. And so I, I even took offense. I didn't, you know, respond back in, in the, in the text chat, but um, in the text chain, but I don't even feel, I don't feel like Biden needs to win. I feel like the people who keep saying he needs to win need to quit saying he's losing because he's not losing. He's having a very successful presidency. You know, I, I, I'm just, obviously perception trumps reality, but I'm just really upset with the people, the way that people are trying to shape the perception of what's going on with the Biden administration. Yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely a, a changing of the perception. I will say this though, as far as your win thing, I disagree in this. I think every... I think you take as many wins as you can, right? Whether it's a good week economy, whether it's Breyer, whether it's what have you. I think you got to start 
gaining momentum and start pushing those things one after the other week four against the Browns is still a victory. Even if it's not Sunday night football against the Packers, right? Like you got to rack up those little victories. And and here's another thing, right? Sometimes things happen. There's no faults to Biden, but because he's the president and he always says the buck stops with me and like the predecessor, right? Sometimes he takes losses that aren't his. So, if we could just take victories that might not even be his, there's more and more that we could build momentum. I think it's good. I do agree with you. There is a shaping of the perception, the failure or or the still yet to be passed build back better was seen as a colossal failure, but the story should have been all the stuff that Biden is trying to pass. So I agree there's a little bit of shaping of the perception, but I'll take the W's where I can get them at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and understand, I'm not saying don't take the W's. Yeah. I'm just saying I took issue with the he needed a W, right? You take, you, again, you don't, you take as many wins as you can, but I, but I have a great, I take great issue with the fact that he needed a W. Before we go into Briar, the other thing that's important because she's been also getting her butt whipped is the vice president went down mm-hmm. to Ecuador for the swearing in of the new president of the female president of Ecuador. And she got a rousing welcome. She was, it was a well-received trip. She did well. And we, other than those of us who obviously pay attention to the social media and feeds and international reporters, it got very little coverage. Now I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it from the standpoint of, no, she didn't get any coverage because if she didn't get any coverage, we would have never heard about it. Right. But though the cable news networks weren't talking about it, you know, she had a very good, successful foreign trip, as many of her foreign trips have been. And I'm not sure if you saw that video of her walking into the stadium and people losing their minds. Um, was and, it was you know, it or Honduras? It was. It was. Yeah, it may. It may have been Honduras. It was. I, I, yeah, I you're, you're right. It was Honduras. Everybody. Yeah, I'll... and and of course I can't go ahead. I can't go ahead and say, oh, they're all the same, right? Because that that would be crazy. <laughs> uh, let's just say a Central slash South American country. She went to and she had a a huge hero's welcome. Yeah, something that I thought of was, you know, the people who say, where where is she at? What is she doing? Like, where is Kamala and all this stuff? And I could be wrong, but I think she's had more foreign trips than Biden has had, partly because. That's part of the the plan with her. I, I think a lot of people think he's grooming her, and a lot of people think that um, he's trying to get her as much experience for the 2024 run or the eventual 2028 run, what what have you. But um, I think she's had much more trips than he has abroad. So I think that's look like I just said with the wins. It's like the more and more that she could get out there, and the more and more that people could say, "Well, where is she at? What is she doing?" Etc. Like that think about it. If Kamala's the face the international countries see for their big events. That's always a W. So I, I, I think that we have to just continue to talk about it. It was all over my personal timeline. I didn't see it on like Facebook and Instagram or stuff like that. So maybe we have to do a better job of, of getting the word out there. But I think overall she's been doing a good job. She's been trying to be as public as possible. I think I see that personally. You know, what was very fascinating. One of the things that got reported on, um, not report on, but it was part of a panel discussion last Sunday on, I think, Jonathan Capehart's show, is they talked about the fact that Kamala is the first vice president to have a full-time press corps. I didn't realize. So essentially, it's always been the White House press corps and people would peel off to cover the you know vice president, evidently. But Kamala is the first time to have a full-time press pool that follows her every move. 
that tells me something. She's under scrutiny that, that Pence did not have, that Biden did not have, that Cheney did not have, that um, Gore did not have, et cetera, et cetera. So when we hear these stories about her, is she really even doing all that bad? Or is she also just facing a scrutiny that other vice presidents have never faced? Because you mean to tell me that I didn't know. I mean, is that news to you that, that she's the first vice president to have a full-time press corps? Did, had you heard that? Well, I thought I thought they, I didn't know that they didn't necessarily have a press corps. I, I thought they would be smaller, but I didn't know that they didn't have one at all. But remember, this: these are the same people who, when Pence wasn't a doing good job, when, when Pence wasn't having a good approval rating, they would say, well, the vice presidency isn't really a job, right? It's just a face and you're just, it's, uh, it's an ornament. And then now with, with, when the black woman is there, all of a sudden it becomes like, what is she doing? What's her role? Why, why can't she be here? Why can't she be there? They're going to move the goalposts. We'll get into it a little bit with Breyer and, and it's possible replacement, but they're going to always move the goalposts, especially for women, especially for women of color. So, I am not surprised that she has her own press corps because they are trying to find anything and everything. Um, I also, I also appreciate it because she's doing such a good job that we have to, we have to follow that, especially the vice president is important. So we have to point that out. Yeah. It's one of the pieces and I don't see the exact line, but they said she is the most watched vice president in history. So now let's stop right there. She is the most watched vice president in history. If other vice presidents were watched as much as she was, would mm-hmm. she be ranking as slowly as she's ranking, or might they might a few of them uh, be you know the you know uh, you know with someone for same approval ratings, complete with her own press corps that travels internationally with her and tracks her every move? Just think about that. Mm-hmm. It's so when when we hear these polls and when we hear how negative things are about her. I don't think we can under or downplay the role that having your very own press corps it plays in in the way that she's covered and and in people's expectations of her and and their perceptions of her. Not only expectations and perceptions, but the the double standard. Right, we know that how women politicians dress is much more scrutinized than the men. We know that. If a suit costs ten thousand dollars, nobody's gonna ever ask about it, right? But if the dress costs ten thousand dollars, then it becomes a front page story. Like we know, women, especially women of politicians, especially women of color politicians, are definitely under more scrutiny. So the fact that she's watched the most and she has the most press corps, and the fact that there hasn't been, um, there hasn't been a misstep or anything like that, is, is remarkable to be honest. Right um, now, one of the things that. I think it's a good segue is a lot of conservatives and even some people on the left have all of a sudden fallen in love with the idea of Vice President Harris, who's first in line of succession and also no matter how bad things are, is one of the leading candidates, should be the leading candidate to replace Joe Biden either in 24, if he doesn't run again, or in 28. She, No matter how bad it is, she's the leading candidate in both regards. People, a lot of men on the right have suggested that she should be a Supreme Court justice. Now, do you think that they're saying, oh, God, she's a great legal mind, which I assume she is. She was an attorney general. Or do you think it's it's a way to get her off the playing field? And because they're suggesting that either Liz Cheney or Mitt Romney replace her. First of all, she's not going to take the job. Secondly, 
under what obligation is Joe Biden to a, to a, a, appoint a Republican replacer? And you also have to have congressional approval, I guess, to replace a vice president. Is there anybody, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure what your margins are, if it's a, just a simple majority, if it's got to get out of the committee, if it could be filibustered. But in what world, in what weed are they smoking? Well, the, the part of the problem, John, is that they don't personally know what to do with Kamala, right? They, they, she's the first black woman vice president. They don't, they want to put her in a box. And this is part of that conversation to say, oh, just make her Supreme Court justice and then let's move on. Let's put a white man back in the vice presidency as it should be, right? They're so heartbroken with the fact that a white man isn't destined to be the vice president every single time now that they have to fix that. I don't know what they're smoking. I will say this though. I consider rumors like this and theories like this, the same as like QAnon and stuff like that. They're really bringing it out of nowhere. Not only is Kamala the front runner, she's the second most powerful person in theory in the whole world. And to relegate her, not to the Supreme court justice isn't important. I'm just saying, um, Kamala got the nuclear. There's a there's a there's a case with her at all times. So I just think they don't know what to do with her, and they have to put her somewhere. And that's that's where that kind of theory comes from. They don't think she could do the job simply because she's a black woman. To be honest. Yeah, and and you know, there's also to always talk about Michelle Obama for that job. Look, the Obamas make too much money and are living too much of their best life for either one of them to become a Supreme Court justice. Um, they did what they needed to do. Um, they served. And I think what it goes is now we get to the discussion of the fact that Stephen Breyer announced his retirement, which was good. He definitely is not going out uh, like RBG. Um, and, you know, he was very close to her. Um, and Biden had already promised to uh, appoint an African-American female uh, as his first appointment to the Supreme Court. And he has indicated that, not has indicated, he's come out and said that's still his intention. Um, and it's got a lot of conservatives in their feelings. They're calling it affirmative action. They're dis- diminishing her. They're dismissing her. Uh, and when I say her, we don't know who her is yet, yeah. right? Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things I think people should understand is when you do a Supreme Court appointment, and it's currently a 6-3 uh, Supreme Court favor Republicans. What Biden is doing is he's replacing a liberal with a liberal. But I think the most important thing, they don't talk about it enough, is the 6-3 Supreme Court won't be a 6-3 forever. And if if the Democrats hold on to the Senate and, and Biden wins election, there's a good chance that he'll have at least one or two more opportunities to make appointments. So, you know, that replacing Breyer now with someone who is most likely going to live a very long time, serve in the court a very long time, I I, I I crack up because the press is doing it again, judging like it's not a big deal. But Supreme Court appointments are lifetime appointments, and they last generations. And depending on what happens in November and what happens in 24, this may only be his first Supreme Court. And then that 6-3 Supreme Court is no longer a 6-3 Supreme Court. And I, I, I'm i not hearing that discussion enough. I just keep hearing, you know, it's not going to change the balance. But it's going to, you know, you're going to diversify it with a black woman. And what's funny, there's three, there's four women on the Supreme Court. 
and three of the four women, I mean, there's three women on the Supreme Court now, but there will be four, and three of those people will be appointed by Democrats. There's no white men on the Supreme Court that have been appointed by Democrats at this point. Yeah, no, I, I will say this. There, I think this this brings up a couple things for me. First, to oh, to give a little nod to our prediction show. I think this was one of your predictions, so that came true pretty pretty fast. So kudos <laughs> to you. I will also say this: it's nice to <laughs> it's nice to have this conversation with Briar alive, right? Remember with RBG, it was. Her her body was not to use it as not to be cruel, but her body wasn't even cold before Mitch McConnell released a statement saying, "Hey, we're definitely filling the sea. I don't really care what you guys say." So it's nice to. We, I don't think RBG really got the conversation that she deserved, to be honest, because she was a legend and she was a trailblazer in her own right. But it was two weeks before the election. It was like the Trump and January sixth happened and all this stuff that we really never had that public conversation about uh, RBG. So it's kind of nice to have Breyer be alive, get his flowers, and for him to honestly, and I don't mean to politicize it, but for him to do the right thing. For him to come out and say, hey, you guys can fill my seat now. I'm not going to step down until the session's over June, July, but I won't step down unless you fill my seat because I'm still going to be here. So I think he's, I think he knows what his seat holds and the power that his seat holds, and I'm grateful to him for him to step aside. As far as the conversation about filling the seat and stuff like that, again, White men on the right will have you believe that because Biden is going to fill this with a black woman, that they are being biased again, that we are being racist towards them. As you like to say, they don't care about being called or they don't care about being racist. They care about being called racist. The conversation I'm seeing is racist. If you just think someone's affirmative action, you just automatically think they're not uh, uh, qualified to do that. Amy Comey Barron wasn't qualified to, to be on the Supreme Court as far as I'm concerned. Brett Kavanaugh was not qualified to be on the Supreme Court as far as I'm concerned. I could give you Neil Gorsuch. He seemed like from from all perspective to be uh, highly qualified. Those two guys, you, those two people you put up there were not qualified. So as far as I'm con- concerned, they could kick rocks. John, let me ask you a question as you pivot to what you're going to say. What is the political benefit of Republicans doing this. And I say that to say, at this point, it's all indications that they can't stop this in any way. There's no legal technical maneuver they could do. There's no loophole. There's no trick of Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell's sleeve that they could stop this. What do they gain out of just being, trying to stop this publicly, at least uh, the the message or, or, or the, are they trying to just delegitimize it no matter who it is? Well, that's one piece, but I think there's a lot of grounds to delegitimize the Republican appointees. But I think the bigger issue is that Democrats for years have never, ever been Supreme Court voters. Republicans are. Does this potentially, as much as this is a win for Biden, does this give them a rallying point? You know, if you don't elect a a Republican Senate, they're going to keep, you know, appointing. You know, I think it's their upside is since Republican voters have historically done a better job of voting on the Supreme Court, do they see it as a potential motivating factor? We talked about this before we started the show about, I do think that it's the right thing to do. I think that there's chattering class that that will be very happy that there's a black woman. I still don't necessarily know for the guy at 72nd and University that we're trying to get the vote 
you know, is he all going to say, you know, I wasn't going to vote for shit. Now we got a black Supreme Court justice. I'm going to the polls. I, I, I think they're kind of overstating. And I think a lot of stuff that they're saying is going to depress the vote or excite the vote, whether it's voting rights or some of this other stuff. I don't think that that's going to really drive people. I think maybe Build Back Better does if it, got, if it gets passed, especially with the child tax credit. But I, I, I see Republican voters responding to Supreme Court more than Democratic voters. Now, I do think Democratic insiders have, and, and, and the people who are more involved, like you and I, if we were a little demoralized, this might motivate us more. But I just don't know how that how that resonates with your typical kitchen table issues voter, uh, especially in the black community. This is not a bad thing. We got to take it. We got to do it. But I'm saying do it more because it's the right thing to do and it's needed. I'm just not necessarily confident that it's going to have a ton of political upside for Democrats. And I do think that if you you know you say why well, are Republicans doing what they're doing, I don't think it'll have. I don't think it has upside for Republicans either. But I do think that their voters have done a better job three years of being Supreme Court voters. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's definitely um, something that, that I didn't think of. I will say that. Though. I will say this, though, a couple things. When they demonize whoever the nominee is, when they eventually demonize her, call her a, a pedophile, call her a child, she eats children at pizza shops. Like When they eventually do that, um, I think that's good for us. And here's why. Like, I, I disagree with, with you in one thing. I don't think it necessarily will charge up voters who are definitely going to vote. But I also think the uglier they get on the right, I think it, it boosts our, our morale and it boosts the voters to say, we got to really get these people out. Look how they're treating her. Look how they're treating George Floyd. Look how they're treating these people. When people get ugly, I think people want to vote those people out. So I do think it'll help us. Not necessarily that we got a black Supreme Court justice, but the rights vitriol towards her eventual will, I think, charge our side. But also the other thing here is this is just a, a promise kept, right? Everybody's talking about the student loan debt. Everybody's talking about this, 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 and this. And Biden promised this on the campaign trail. Here's a chance for him to fulfill a promise. I think that's always a W. I also, I also will say this. Um... I forgot what I was going to say. There was a third point I was going to say, but I just think when they demonize black women, I think people get angry at that and they are doing it so publicly and they're doing it so unapologetically. I think that that'll be good for us. Here's the thing, right? If, if the process is going to happen March, April, I think Biden set a timetable that he's going to nominate someone by the end of February. So There'll be discussion around March, April, and then Breyer's going to step down end of July or July-ish. That's right before midterms. So if the Republicans are doing six, seven months of just bashing black women, I'll take that. I'll take that because I think that's going to help bring voters out for our side. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the things that will happen, and I think this happens with every issue, um, we are probably more engaged in your typical voter than even sometimes of your typical social media user. Um but I won't even pretend to know who the right choice is. Oh, <laughs> and I'm going to laugh that, you know, there, there's probably a very small group of folks who really know all the, you know, what the criteria, what the right criteria is, and of the candidates who are running, who are the criteria. So my two favorite right now would be um, 
uh, Melissa Murray, who's a professor who's on MSNBC, and Sherilyn Eiffel, for no other reason than I know who they are. <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell you about any of their, you know, they're obviously brilliant scholars because they're on TV and they talk about, people talk about how great their resumes are. And so I have a TV relationship with them and I, you know, I smile whenever they come on and I got excited when they, you know, you know, talk about them. But I said all to say that um, it's going to be really funny in the social media space. I think that knowing how people behave Whatever black woman that Biden picks, regardless of what her resume is, what her track record, not only is the right going to do what the right does, I guarantee you that there will be a large contingent on the left who will say she's a corporatist shill and will find that one case or that one or that one briefing or that one paper she wrote that was remotely defensive of Jeff Bezos or something like that. So one, I'm 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 definitely here for the right. But I'm looking at the left with the side eye because I know that there's this whole Bernie bro Elizabeth Warren faction who is going to sit there and no matter who's chosen, they're going to have someone who they know would have been better. Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to that as well. I will say this, John. It was fascinating to me. This is my first time, obviously, on the left. I was old enough for Barack and I was old enough for Garland, but this is the first time really in a positive way I get to go through this process. And it's, it's, it's almost like, I don't mean to, to like belittle it. It's almost like when you hear Mel Kuyper talk about just draft picks, it's like, well, you could go here and you could go here and you could go here. It's funny. It's like, as soon as it happened, there was lists. It's like, here's the short list. Here's the five women that Biden's going to look at. Here's the 10 women that Biden's going to look at. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. What's their 40 time, right? So it's fascinating to see kind of the process. I'm excited about that because um, – it's just it's fun to be an outsider looking in. I will also say this. Uh, I, I, go ahead. No, you finished. Finish your point. I was just going to say, I, I told you this on Twitter. We talked about it, right? Michelle wants nothing to do with this. People stop bringing her name in. And I don't think Barack, and maybe in, in, like in the back of his mind, he would think it's cool, but I don't think he wants anything to do with this as well. But I will say this. Put their names on the list. Even if you have 0.0% intention to put them on there, Put them on the list. Let the right freak out. Just, just, just to control the narrative. Put them on the list. Take a, take a, take a playbook from Trump and throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and just and let them go crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, I agree to a certain extent. <laughs> um, although, no, I don't want them on the list for one reason because there'll be somebody. Everybody that ends up on the list, there's going to be people pissed that that person didn't get chosen. So the smaller the list, the less pissed off people there will be. All right, That's the first thing. Secondly, I'm just waiting for the people that you and I have been following on Twitter that have over the last couple of years displayed no expertise on anything having to do with the law of Supreme Court. I guarantee by the middle of next week, they will they will be the biggest Twitter lawyers you've ever met. They'll be experts. They'll be they'll be referencing cases they know nothing about, but because they heard somebody else talk about that case, they're going to talk about that case. They're going to talk about that case as if they're experts on that case. Um, I reserve the right to do that myself, <laughs> but 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 that's what's going to be happening in the social media space as we get through this. I guarantee you, we can have. Joe Biden can pick someone who is a DSA member, 
but they're going to remember the one time that that they didn't vote total line with the DSA, and they're going to be a corporatist shill on the left. Joe Biden can pick somebody who is uh, 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 has a JD, a PhD, a medical degree, has published in so many different papers, and has won so many different cases. Was a child prodigy. Wrote a wrote an or you know wrote a symphony. And Republicans are going to say what's well, an affirmative action hire. I'm just predicting that right now, and I'm confident that in a couple of weeks, in the middle of March, everything I just told you is going to happen. Well, I don't disagree, and what you said is not too different than what I said, because what's also going to happen in middle March is that right before the NFL draft, there's going to be a bunch of college football experts who are going to talk about whether Tua should have been drafted higher or Joe Burrow's not the one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's very, very kind of eerily similar in that way. I'm looking forward to the kind of the fun times. I think this will happen, though. I think we're talking about this in a jokey matter because I think we have a win here. Let's hope it's a win, right? Let's hope the certain senator from West Virginia or Arizona doesn't uh, doesn't poop the bed, right? So let's let's take this victory and let's enjoy it, and then let's let's make history, right? Not only is she the first, I think she's going to be the first black woman, so it's going to be just just fascinating to kind of go through that process. Right. So one of the things that uh, popped up this past week was there's a lot in just in the house on whether it's the, the January 6th investigation, or um, with Matt Gates. Um, how are you feeling? Are, 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 I know I know we've been waiting, and, and the, the brawl that Judge Judy meme where she's looking at her watch and tapping her watch. What is your confidence level now that is it is it a question of if Gates takes the hit or when? Where, where, where are you? Because I know you've had a little bit of pessimism and, and skepticism. But where are you right now on uh, the likelihood of Gates going through some things? I I think he's going through things already, <laughs> to be fair. But I am pretty confident that he will not be a congressman in 2023. But that doesn't necessarily mean jail time, right? Cases like these take If he goes through litigation, take, cases like these take years. If he flips, right, hypothetically, if there's someone to flip that's bigger than him, he's a big fish for sure. There's not that many people that he could flip on that are bigger than him. Then he probably won't do jail time or he'll probably do like probation or something like that. So my confidence level is pretty high that he definitely won't be a congressman in 2023. Now, I kind of hope that he... I told you this in a kind of our prediction show. It was like, if something happens, I kind of hope it happens towards the end of the year because I kind of want him to win his seat and then become like have to resign and kind of be an empty seat there as opposed to like if something happens in June, someone's going to run for a seat and it'll be just filled with another kind of Republican. So um, I don't know. That's just being me being selfish. At the end of the day, I think he's going down for this. Remember, he famously went to Trump weeks before uh, January 20th and tried to get a, a blanket pardon for because he knew kind of stuff, stuff was going to hit the fan. So my confidence level is high. It's it's just a matter of kind of when it happens at this point, I think. Well, I will tell you, I think that not only is he going to go down and will he get arrested and charged, I also think that he could potentially, you have a scenario where he might get arrested and not get out. I mean, if you look at what's going on with his buddy Greenberg, and if you look at the level of charges, um, the resources he has at his disposal, I could see a, a case for him, one, getting arrested and indicted, 
and two, not necessarily getting bail because you were talking about traffic of minors and, you know, they will be throwing a book at him um, because of his position and abuse of power. And it looks like he was actually, if if that one um, accusation is true with the guy, the guy this week, the shock jock that just went ahead and, and pled guilty or cut a deal. Yeah. He had done this as a member of Congress. Right. And, you know, and, and to, I would have think to the extent that both prosecutors and judges have discretion, I bet you they're going to be less lenient. I mean, granted, there's always this first time offender element, those types of things, but to the extent to where they can talk about the seriousness of the crime, the arrogance and the, and the abuse of power, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I feel confident that not only will he finally get arrested, um, I, I am skeptical whether or not he would actually get bail. Although I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer. Um, and, um, but I also think the likelihood of him getting char- getting convicted is great. You know, you know that the, that, that the, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in any part of the country has a very high prosecution rate. I mean, it's, it's insanely high. Um, and I'm not happy with how long it's taken for him to be arrested or be indicted or for any action. But I also know that part of the reason why it's taking so much time is they're trying to build a rock solid case, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's weird because are you familiar with some of the stuff that Trump has been dealing with where, especially with like the, uh, reporting one thing, uh, reporting the value is one thing for, uh, tax purposes and then inflating it for to get loans and they say that the thing that's really tough for trump is those are what they call paper cases right you don't even need testimony you don't even need this well i think i think that this gets case sounds like if i if my understanding of what a paper case is it sounds like a paper case if he's sending you know payments to these girls via venmo uh and and you know so i don't know i i think the likelihood of him actually going away is is great especially considering that if they're throwing the book at these guys who are flipping on him they're not going to be flipping on him on a lesser charge they're flipping on him because he's a bigger fish and not just because of his position but because of what they believe to be his role in the crimes that they believe were committed yeah, no, I agree with your assessment. So let me just ask you some some lawyer questions. Then just put on your lawyer hat just for a little couple of minutes here. My law and order One, SVU uh, law degree. Exactly. <laughs> One is where is this case coming from? Is it local or is it federal? That's my first question. Federal, federal. So can DeSantis pardon him at any point? Okay. It's federal. It's federal. Then my second question is. Let's say he does get indicted and found guilty, then he cannot run for public office again. Am I correct? No, that's not correct. So, for instance, Blagojevich cannot run for public office again because the state of Illinois voted for the the the, the legislature actually passed a law specifically for him banning him from running, and that's one of the reasons why he's suing and he may actually win that case because. That seemed like a little extra punitive. So, um, but is, can he not, like, can he not are, run in the state, or can he run for like the presidency? It, 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 I, I'm. I don't think there's anything that pr- would prohibit him from running. Okay. I don't think there's a. I. 
I think that there might be some states that have rules that say ex-cons can't run and you got to be on the state of each ballot. But I don't necessarily um, think, well, actually, you know, I might, I might, I might, I might, I might have a loophole here. If he gets found guilty, he has to register as a sex offender. And I'm not sure that sex offenders right. can run for public office, if I'm mistaken. Could be totally wrong. I also was going to ask you, is there anything that the House could do to ban him from running again, at least as a congressman? I, I don't actually know the rules, but I think the sex offender thing, he might have to register and he can't go to certain places. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, um, it's it's hard to say. Put it this way. I think that if he gets if he goes away, I don't think I think his political career is over. I don't think it's something we have to worry about. But factcheck.org, here you go. Can a convicted felon serve an elected office? The Constitution allows a convicted felon to be a member of Congress even if in prison. So he technically doesn't they can that he does not have to resign. He could be he can still be convicted. And you know what? Kevin McCarthy and Republicans are so best up that they would probably let him stay. Yeah. I mean, granted, the Democrats could vote to expel him, and there might be enough Republican votes that would join in. But no, it says, um, it says the Constitution allows a convicted felon to be a member of Congress, even if in prison. If it, it's up to the Senate or House to decide who may serve, as for state offices, different laws apply in different places. So, yes, he could actually <laughs> look that would apply for sex offenders. Yeah, and don't forget it convicted felon sex offenders, he just can't go near schools. It doesn't keep him, he might have to leave the chambers. He can't you know, vote in a school, uh, <laughs> right? Well, don't forget, everyone he's gonna really like that mail in ballot, right? <laughs> you, you know, look, if he is if he's if he's indicted and convicted i really don't think this is something that we're gonna have to lose a lot of sleep over i do think though it would be very interesting i could see him getting indicted and getting and getting charges and literally stay you know not resigning and i could see people being stupid enough for him for him to still run while he's locked up for re-election because don't forget he's on the ballot he'd have to be on the ballot in november anyways but man but I will tell you this, that type of arrogance would also, if he's convicted, that type of arrogance of potentially not resigning from Congress, I'm sure the judge, whoever sentenced him, if he's convicted, would not look too kindly on that. Yeah, no, I, right. I tend to agree with you. The more you try to show up the system, the system will uh, definitely put you in your place. I also wonder if Trump is still kind of communicating with him from all I can see and, and MTG and everything like that. I think... The, our telltale sign, John, is once they start distancing themselves, once he can't get into Mar-a-Lago one way or the other, <laughs> once McCarthy kind of backs off, I think we'll start to see that that the, the walls are closing in on, uh, on our friend from Florida. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, one of the things that happened this week was Joe Biden had a hot mic incident. In which <laughs> I he totally forgot this was this week. Which he called Peter Ducey a stupid son of a bitch. I think that was his exact frame. Um, the right was upset. Even members of the press took offense. And they're like, you know, this is no different than when Trump. I actually think it's a lot of different. And I think the biggest difference was 
it was a hot mic. Trump, Biden was not in front of a crowd of people making people turn on the press, and he wasn't. You know, he 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 was overheard. It was he was talking underneath his breath. Now I will say. That might be one of the problems with being a 78, 79, however old he is, uh, president, is the fact that he probably doesn't necessarily realize that um, mics are a lot more open and sensitive than, than, than he would li- like. Although I did see an article today that someone on the, on the right are speculating that he did it on purpose. Uh, were, your, were your virgin ears offended when Joe Biden called uh, Peter Ducey a, a stupid son of a bitch? I was just disappointed that he didn't go further. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think that it's here. The only thing I was kind of disappointed was this is what they do. Fox wants this, right? And he just he just gave them what they wanted. That's the only like unfortunate part of this. But I will say I like just the, the fight, right? I just like him just be like call us like call it what it is. You know what I mean? Um, the right being upset, they were going to always be upset. I think it's way different than Trump. Not only did Biden didn't mock Peter, he just called him a name, right? Uh, Trump mocking a mentally uh, handicapped person. Not a mentally, it was just a handicapped person. Oh, sorry. Yeah, a handicapped person is just plain old evil and wrong and, and, and childish, right? Not only that, but Biden took 90 minutes, I think, reporting was, before he was on the phone with Peter, apologized. Call, Jen Psaki called on him the next day. Like there wasn't favoritism shown or or a bias shown towards him. Um, Jen Psaki gave him three questions the next day, and I don't think as a favor. I just think she was just doing her job right. Trump tried to get a lot of news people banned. He tried to get Jim Acosta thrown out. He has thrown out different reporters. He threw racist questions at that one Asian reporter during the pandemic and the Chinese flu and all this stuff. So. Remember, he was going at, at, at a lot of different women in, in the press. He called, um, he he said, he's called the press dumb. He said the, the press is evil, the enemy of the people. So as far as I'm concerned, this is a complete nothing burger. Um, but Fox is going to just use it. And that's just the unfortunate part. But I don't really care. I like it. And as far as I'm concerned, he could do it every single day. It wouldn't bother me. Yeah, and well, and I'm still a little frustrated. I'm not really too concerned about Fox, but I think that Fox has consistently shown itself to be unethical. It's shown itself to really not, you know, really be serious journalism. And what really, and it, it picks fights with its, you know, with the MSNBCs and the CNN and the other world and, and the other members of the mainstream media. And like clockwork, whenever anyone, Biden, Obama, go after Fox News. I don't I'm not too thrilled with the way that the other media defend Fox News. I understand that it's your profession and everything else, but everything at Fox News kind of like is bad for the profession, right? You know, it's it's it, it it's it's and so I don't really necessarily feel like um it it's the job of the other outlets to defend uh, Peter Ducey and Fox News and what they do. Um, I guess I should be glad that he called and apologized, and I know it's good. But I also don't believe in... He called him... He, he meant it when he called him a stupid yeah. son of a bitch. He, he, believe, he believes he, it, yeah. He, did, sure. he, does, he did, I, I just don't feel like he needed to apologize 
I do like decency. I do like people trying to have some level of decorum. So I guess that's right. But it seems like it's only one side or one type of individual that has to be mindful of decorum and has to be mindful of doing the right thing and has an expectation of doing the right thing. Um, Trump would have done that to say Acosta. He never would have apologized. Um, there would have been Acosta himself would have faced death threats for having the audacity to complain that he was called the stupid son of a bitch. So, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's, I just think it's overblown. And I just hate the fact that, again, the the non-Fox News is trying to be the bigger person. And they have an expectation that Biden will be the bigger man. And it, it doesn't go both ways. Yeah, I completely agree. I also, I don't think he apologized for saying it. I think he apologized for saying it publicly, to be honest. Remember, from what I understand, the call was, hey, don't take it personal, which tells me that I believe this, but it's just part of the job and you got to suck it up. So I do think that Biden thinks that Peter is a stupid son of a bitch. Also, Peter being a stupid son of a bitch is a, is a bipartisan issue because John McCain definitely called him the same thing uh, back when John McCain was alive. So they're on the same page there. Also, like, I agree with your point about Fox News. When Biden has his had his year-long, um, his one-year anniversary presser and Newsmax got up there and said, are you competent? Where was the media stepping in to protect their uh, profession there, right? Where was the media saying, hey, this is a legit thing. We're trying to ask legit questions. You're making a mockery of us. But they don't, right? So I think sometimes, believe it or not, that a lot of the reporters, even what we consider left-leaning reporters, kind of like when Fox News asks their crazy questions because they want to see reactions and stuff like that. But again, Jim Acosta was kicked out of a Trump uh, uh, presser before Trump calls people stupid and again race racial stuff i i can't even get it's not even the same ballpark to me it's a false equivalency biden said something on the hot mic presidents do this barack called kanye a jackass like this just happens this is just part of the game when you're the president and the mic is on you 100 percent of the time at some point even the oval office has mics and is recording at times like this is just part of the game. So we just have to accept it. Like, trust me, like the snowflakes are really the ones, the, the people who call us snowflakes are definitely the snowflakes in this case. Right, right, right. The F your feelings crowd is always in their feelings about something. Yeah, for sure. So on that note, we're closing in on an hour. So I think it's probably time that we, we sign off. So for now, this is John signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. Mm-hmm.